A stu stu Studio D production. And he was just a halfling. He was limited by his race. They didn't leave the Shire. Yeah. They were very simple. <laughs> They're called hobbits. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> They're basically... It's the same thing. They got Shire, right? I know. <laughs> They're I know, the, same the same thing. thing. They're literally the it's same the thing. It's the same thing. D&D couldn't get sued. <laughs> That's what it is. Sit down, I want to tell you a story. A really weird and messed up story. everyone welcome to effed up family story time i'm salem and i'm hannah and here today we have jess hello and bell hey how you guys doing horrible <laughs> <laughs> yeah so we're here recording our 52nd episode the 53? sign says 53 53 so we're here today recording our 52nd episode, and it is going to be one of the hottest days in Colorado history. Yesterday, we tied a record. We reached 100 degrees, almost said 1,000 degrees. <laughs> yeah. We're literally skeletons. <laughs> my <It was> melted. <laughs> yesterday, my AC did not turn off once until it was dark because it was so hot. Yeah. It just ran constantly. Yeah, I guess somewhere in Denver, I'm not sure if it was where we're at, but yeah, reached 100 degrees. So we tied a, a record um, for the state on that day. And today's supposed to be even hotter, I think. So... Ew. Yeah, and our air conditioning broke. More <clears throat> ew. So, <laughs> so I'm sorry, listeners, if you hear the hum of the fan in the background, we may, that's the best we can do. We may have to crack a door or two. You may get some background noise, but um, we're still here recording. Right now, it's early enough. It's not quite 100 degrees yet, <laughs> but we'll see how long we can make it in this teeny tiny little bedroom with the walls covered with foam. <laughs> On the second floor on of the house. On the second floor <laughs> on the south-facing side of the house. So, I mean, it doesn't get any hotter than this. What's it's also on? really sucky that it's the beginning of June and already hitting 100. Like, I know. What is August going to be like? I know. Because, like, end of July, August are, like, our 100-degree months. So, like... Mm -hmm. Is it hopefully not going to get hotter than that? And we just started early, but like... Or is it going to be like this weird flip-flopping weather that we've had where we'll have these really hot huh? days and then we'll go back down to having normal days for a while? I'm sure that's what it's going to be like because that's what yeah. Colorado has always been like. I mean, <laughs> it's, good at that. it's like what it is in the winter. Snows, yeah. Yeah. below freezing, next no, day 60-something, you know. I'm just and surprised. And everything's melting. Because I feel like yeah. June is when it rains the most in the summer. And it hasn't yeah. really rained that much. See, I mean, it's the very beginning of June still. But. At my house, we've had quite a few thunderstorms over the past couple weeks. So. Oh, really? We yeah. haven't had very many down by where I'm We've at. had some rain here. You guys probably got A little some, bit of rain. But nothing significant. No. We had that one rain where it rained for like a full 24 hours. Do you remember that? It yeah. started like in the afternoon on a Friday. I had a story mm -hmm. I wanted to talk yeah. about. Is it your happy <laughs> thought, though? No. Okay. I had a weird thing happen to me, and I just want to see what your guys' okay. reaction to it is. So we went to the Blues Jam, the Greeley Blues Jam, last weekend. Oh, yeah. 
and stayed Friday night, and it was an experience, and I can go through the whole, I mean, I can give you the long story or the short story. We went to the Blues Jam. We only saw, like, three bands. They had half the bands that they used to. It was fun, but it was kind of disappointing. But anyway, so, like, 3 o'clock in the morning, I get up. I have to go to the bathroom. I walk across the grassy area to the big bathroom. It's nice and bright. Nobody's in there. Use the bathroom. It's got the button on the wall to push to flush it, right? I push the button, walk out of the stall, go to wash my hands. And it's got the push, you know, um, faucets that turn off automatically. And so I push it on. I'm washing my hands. I'm like soaping up. And the toilet's still flushing. I'm like, that's kind of weird. So I'm like rinsing my hands off and the toilet's still flushing. So I go back and I like look at the button to see if maybe it got stuck. And I push it again. It's not stuck. So I go back over, wash my hands again because I touched the button. And the water's still going. The water had been going the whole time. I never had to push it down again. So then I wash my hands. I go over to the towels and I'm drying my hands. And I'm just standing there. And I'm still kind of drunk because we drank quite a bit. (laughs) We were out. And I'm like in that kind of hungover, still kind of drunk phase. I'm just staring at the toilet that is still flushing (laughs) and the faucet that is still on. And like, what the fuck do I do? I'm like, I don't know. And I left. But that was really fucking weird. And I had used the bathroom before and I had used it after. Didn't see anything. I'd been in there when other people used it. It didn't see anything like that. So I think it was a ghostly experience. That's what I think. Maybe. I think that that's why the other bathrooms flooded. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. Because the water never turned off in those bathrooms. Yeah, it was just like going and going going going. and going and going. It was just really weird. It was bizarre. I think the people at the fairgrounds play tricks on people who go to the bathroom late at night. That's what it is. They they rig the bathroom to do that. They got to be pretty goddamn bored to sit there and. Wouldn't you be if you worked there? Well, that's true. If I worked nights at the fairground. Uh, In Greeley? Yeah. All right. All right. Well, do we want to get into the story? Yeah. Let's uh, do this. Yeah! Yes. Good energy, Hannah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did not absorb energy from that. I felt more frustration, uh, disdain for the world. <laughs> trying to be supportive. That, that's what that groan said to me. Frustration, disdain for the world, and I think maybe a little bit hungry. It wasn't, it wasn't a groan. It was a, yeah. <laughs> Good energy. Um, Good energy. So this week, Jess is telling us the story, oh, and yeah. it's a big one. All right. So even though these, this story will be played in two parts on two different weeks, I like to think of it as a double feature. Uh, yeah. That's what I'm calling it. So welcome to today's double feature. Um, now, today I'm actually, well, in these next two episodes, I'll be talking about two of Hannah. I don't sing when you're telling your stories. That is a lie. I do. What were you singing? No, while you're actively talking. <laughs> I was singing the double feature song from Rocky Horror. Okay, good. Oh. <laughs> That's what I thought, but I couldn't tell. All right. Well, uh, these next two stories I'm telling are going to be about two of history's most infamous killers. Um, now, I typically tell stories that are more obscure, bring things to people that... Maybe they don't already know, but I have an interesting twist for this one. So um, 
I'm going to tell the stories, and there's a theory about how these two killers cross paths. And so after we tell the two stories, we'll talk a little bit about what we think about that theory. So today's story that we're going to talk about is about Jack the Ripper. Cool. Um, there was one time when I went to London in, what was it, 2015? Yeah, uh, I, think so. I think so. But we did like a walking tour of Jack the Ripper Ooh. and like got to see all of the locations and our yeah, tour cool. guide was like really, really cool and was really good at setting the scene of like what, Ooh. especially of how unbelievably dark it was during that point in our history, just like physically and visibly dark because we mm-hmm. didn't have like electricity yep. or anything, but yeah. dark streets at night. Yeah. <laughs> and in these stories, you'll find that people are out at all hours of the night and morning, one thirty in the morning, two huh. in the morning, and it's dark. All right. So by 1888, the London's East end had become quite a place of poverty. You know, many people who didn't have money, Uh, People who were down on their luck, poor, this is where they ended up. And so the East End had become very much a filthy, um, polluted, um, crime-ridden, because unfortunately, as we all know, poverty breeds crime, as sad as it sounds, because people will do whatever they need to do to survive, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And it had just become a really, really crappy area, and turned into lots of different slums. The funny thing is, before the Industrial Revolution, the East End was still kind of on the outskirts, considered out in the country still, compared to London. Um, And there were beautiful Victorian homes there that inheritors just abandoned because they once the Industrial Revolution hit, pollution was crazy. um, And so they became taken over and turned into like boarding houses or tenements and they were very filthy and dirty and Mm. and uh, you paid by the night and so so it was not a great area it's funny how you see across history how during times of social strife you'll see like a a rise of violent and non-violent crimes kind of like what we're experiencing today in America. <laughs> yeah. Just like Not untrue, but back to 1888. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there is an area in the East End, and there's a street uh, called Whitechapel Street in the East End. And around this, the Whitechapel area is where many of Jack the Ripper's murders took place. So there's a specific area called, or a specific street called Flower and Dean Street, which was notoriously known as one of, if not the worst streets in the East End. And many of the murders took place there or near there. So an interesting thing that we're going to talk about before we get into Jack the Ripper's, like, official victims are a couple of other murders that happened leading up to it. And there's been speculation, even by police at the time, whether or not these two murders might be related to Jack the Ripper, but they've never been included in the official um, count. Okay. So we're looking at April 1888. Um, Emma Elizabeth Smith was doing what she could to survive. She lived in the uh, East End slums and was pretty much just trying to get by like everybody else there. Uh, she was living in a house on George Street, um, which is also notoriously crime-ridden. On April 4th, she was walking down Whitechapel Road and realized she was being followed. Now, Emma wasn't sure, but according to her, she said it could be two, three, or four men were following her. 
She was unable to lose them, and they robbed her and viciously assaulted her, including um, stabbing her repeatedly in the vagina with a blunt object. Ew. And I don't, that's hard for me, like, How do you stab, stab with a blunt so object? So maybe they just violated her, Ugh. and they called it stabbing. Um, but yeah. Um, so she actually escaped and got back to her lodging. When she got there, the fellow lodgers insisted she go to the hospital. She didn't really want to go to the hospital. Like, at that time, especially in places like the East End, it was basically considered that's where you go to die. So she didn't want to go to the hospital, but they convinced her. Um, Once she got there, the doctor said there was nothing they could do for her because she had developed... Stupid speech to text. She had developed peritonitis. Peritonitis? Yes, peritonitis. Um, It says paradise in my notes. (laughs) Um, Peritonitis. It's an infection of the membrane that lines the abdominal wall. Um, So she did die in the hospital at 9 a.m. on April 4th, 1888. That's sad. Mm -hmm. Emma told her fellow lodgers and the doctor who treated her what happened during the attack, but she never revealed any details about her attackers. An interesting thing, too, and it just kind of sheds light on the environment at the time, especially in the East End, on the way back to her lodging house and from there to the hospital, she actually passed many on-duty police officers but never stopped to ask for help. And speculation on why she didn't report it is that people in the East End were treated as nothing. They were, yeah. like, lower than low <clears throat> is how they were treated. And so I imagine she thought nobody would do anything, that it'd be a waste of time. And if she gave information about the attackers and survived, they might come after her again. Historically, yeah. cops don't care about poor people. Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, in my opinion, and you guys can tell me what you think, but because she mentioned multiple attackers, I tend to believe that maybe this isn't a Jack the Ripper killing. It doesn't seem like it fits well, the... There isn't there the, the speculation that like he was more than one person? Yeah, there is a theory. Um, okay. It's not the most popular one that it was actually a group of young medical students or something causing havoc. Um, but but the weird thing is that on all the other attacks, in any where there were witnesses or sightings, there was only ever one man with the woman at the time. So Okay. So it's hard to say. It is hard to say, right? Which is why it's never been officially classified as one of his uh, yeah. murders. But there's speculation that it might have been him leading up to it or something. Yeah. So there's a second victim that's also that happened after Emma, but before his official murders started that people think might be um, one of his uh, killings. So Martha Tabram, I think, also went by the name of Emma Turner, was out drinking at the White Sean. That is not the right word. At the White Swan. (laughs) (laughs) That guy over there, he's White Sean. Yeah. Um, I just picture (laughs) this super white face of this super white redheaded guy with a beard as the billboard. (laughs) Welcome to White Sean. (laughs) It's like a nightclub. (laughs) Okay, so let's try that again. Um, So Martha, a.k.a. Emma Turner, was out drinking at the White Swan on Whitechapel Road on August 6th, 1888. Uh, she was with one of her female friends, and they, she was with two officers from the Coldstream Guards. 
I don't know what that is. I didn't look it up. If you feel like it, all one word, you guys can check it out. They were there drinking until around midnight, um, at which point the four people split off into two different couples. And, you know, their Martha's whereabouts are largely unknown until sometime around 3.30. Um, yes. I looked at the Coldstream Guards. It's the oldest continuously serving regular regiment in the British Army. Um, they're part of the household division, and one of its principal roles is protection of the monarchy. What are they doing in the East End? I don't know. <laughs> That's a good question, I think. Huh. So sometime before 3.30... Martha went back to her lodgings on George Street. So that's where Emma was our first one, right? I'm mixed. They have the same name so often, so I get confused. But that's where our other victim we just talked about, Emma, lived, was on George Street. So Martha went back to her lodgings there. And at 3.30 a.m., her body was spotted lying in a pool of blood on the first floor landing of the building. Oh, it was inside? Mm-hmm. So... An interesting thing is the first person saw her at 3.30, but they thought she was sleeping because it actually was not uncommon for people to sleep outside the lodgings um, and to sleep on that landing. So uh, later, though, er, in the morning when the sun was starting to come out and there was more light, a second resident saw her and realized that she was dead. When Martha was examined, the medical examiner, I don't know that he was called that at the time, I just decided he was, found <laughs> found 39 individual stab wounds wow. on her breast, stomach, and vagina. He believed that the attack was carried out with an ordinary penknife. However, the fatal wound, a stab through Martha's sternum, Ooh was made by a dagger or a sword. Oh. Ooh. The other thing that's interesting, so you'll find as we go along that, you know, Jack the Ripper is very elusive. Nobody ever hears anything or sees anything. And the interesting part, part about this one is that at the time of the murder, the superintendent of the building and his wife were actually asleep only about 12 feet from where the crime happened, and they heard nothing. Hmm. That's Seems unlikely. Yeah. <laughs> I know, but... That seems like some Kitty Genovese shit. That woman <laughs> in... Uh, was it New York? Oh, the, yeah. The one that they teach you about, like, the bystander effect where multiple people heard her calling for help and heard her being murdered and nobody, nobody did, did anything. Yeah. That seems like what happened there. <laughs> I have so much paranoia of being that person. Like, because kids in my neighborhood scream all the time. And, you know, you can tell a happy kid scream, but every now and then there's a scream and I'm like... Are they just fighting with their parents? Is something happening? Should I call? And I can't see anybody because it's coming from somewhere where it's not visible. And I'm like, okay, if they yell help, then I'll do something. <laughs> like, you know, how do you decide, right? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. What, you know what I mean? Like, now if I saw something happening, that's a different yeah. story. And I have called for things I've seen before. Well, but. and I feel like it's a really distinct sound. Somebody like being murdered and like stabbed and like constantly screaming and like you would you would feel like if they were 12 feet away inside in their bedroom and you know mm -hmm. were woken up from like a scuffle or fighting or you know like you would think that like they would hear more than just like people screaming and like you know yeah, yeah. but also being so close in proximity but also in that neighborhood yeah yeah what's the danger of them opening the door to, that too. you know 
Um, and people, you well, know, how many prostitutes are murdered? I mean, like most and, of them are prostitutes. I'm not saying that she's a prostitute, but like most of well, Jack she, the Ripper's victims were prostitutes. Yeah. And how many prostitutes um, back then were just murdered and forgotten about and looked oh, the yeah, other yeah, way? Yeah, nobody and, did anything yeah. or cared. So Martha's friend, who was with her, Pearly Paul, um, went <laughs> to a lineup of Coldstream guards and picked out the men that they had spent the night with. Uh, but both men had solid alibis for the time of the murder. Uh, Martha's death was announced as a felonious and willful murder. So we may never know if these two women were victims of Jack the Ripper, but whether they were or not, it kicked off a really, really like dark time of rampant violence in the East End. How far apart were these two? One was in April, and the other, I want to say, let me look, it was in August. Okay. April 4th and August 6th. Um, now, after this, when we start looking at the official victims of Jack the Ripper, they're closer together. So his official killing spree time that they say took place between August and November in 1888. So let's talk about the first victim. And also, I'll, I'll look up the name and plug it at the end, but there's a book that goes into detail about the women and not about the murders. That's oh, I uh, love that. Yeah. That's really good. So I checked it out from my library, digital copy, so I'm sure you all could too if you want to. Yeah. All right. So the first official victim was found on August 31st, 1888. Mary Ann Polly Nichols was living at 56 Flower and Dean Street. Again, the street was considered to be the very worst in London by many, many people. Mary was in the East End after ending her marriage and abandoning her five children. Like many women, rather than being in a workhouse with horrible conditions, she decided to make her living on the streets. Mary Ann was five foot two. She was 44, but she had a very youthful appearance and looked about 10 or 15 years younger than her actual age. On the 31st, Marianne was warming herself in front of a communal fireplace at her lodging house, um, and the man in charge of the place saw her and demanded payment for that night's lodging. Marianne had no money, and even though it was late at night, the manager of the house insisted that she go and earn her four pence anyway if she wanted to stay there. Damn landlords. I know, right? Man. Oh, they were the Terrible worst. then, terrible now. <laughs> well, they were so horrible back then. They had no regard for the people who had to stay in their houses. Mm-mm. Yeah. I mean, many of the tenement buildings had dirt floors, packed multiple people in one room, you know, not good places to relieve yourself, like yeah. horrible. Well, so since the manager insisted if she wanted to stay there, Marianne went out into the cold of the night. According to a friend of Marianne, uh, she spotted her resting close to the White Chapel Church around 2.30 a.m. that night. Shortly after 3 a.m., Charles Cross was walking on Bucks Road behind White Chapel Station when he spotted what he thought was a pile of tarpaulins, basically tarps and crap like that. However, Charles said since he was... Charles said... Charles said... While he was there, something felt wrong. So even though it looked like a pile of tarps, he decided to take a closer look. Uh, when he got there, he realized that he was looking at a body. So sometime between 2.30 and 3 a.m., Marianne was murdered. That's a short time frame. Yeah. You'll find that they all are. It's crazy. Huh. 
um, because almost all of them have a sighting very close to when they're found when they died. It's crazy. Oh, that is weird. Um, so Marianne was pronounced dead at the scene and taken to the mortuary where an autopsy was performed. According to the autopsy, she had been dead for around 30 minutes before she was found. Dang, so she died like right after that person mm-hmm. saw her. Mm-hmm. Um, the wounds to Marianne were horrific. She had bruising around the neck, suggesting that she'd been strangled, and she had also been punched in the face. She had two large cuts to her throat, both of which reached deep enough to slice her vertebrae. Um, and she had a number of gashes to her abdomen. The doctor examining her, Dr. Llewellyn, estimated that it would have taken about four minutes to inflict those wounds. And based on the wounds in her throat, Marianne would have bled out immediately. Wow. Uh, Dr. Llewellyn also speculated that the murderer had a knowledge of human anatomy, that he attacked her with their left hand, and that he used a strong, sharp knife. Not the lefties. <laughs> I don't know. He just attacked with his left hand. Maybe. I feel like, I mean, your dominant hand would be I the know. one. Back then, they wouldn't have tried to disguise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he suggested the knife was similar to one that's used by shoemakers, cork cutters, or butchers. One of the quotes from Dr. Llewellyn about the body was, The throat was cut from ear to ear, and the woman was quite dead. At this point, authorities didn't know who this woman was. I mean, 1888, didn't have your driver's license. Nobody had identification on them. But several women heard about the news of a murder in the area, and so they, many of them went to the mortuary to see if they could identify the body. And Marianne's friend, Emily Holland, went and was able to identify her as Mary Ann. So this is like the first official Jack the Ripper murder, but even at this point, there are insane theories thrown around about who might have killed Mary Ann. Um, but the investigation was difficult. Like, think about it. Stranger on stranger murder is what this is at this point in 1888, mm-hmm. right? They didn't really stand a chance. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there was lots of speculation. Her murder made the newspapers, and the newspapers were speculating And there were lots of leads and tips, um, but none of those leads panned out. Um, And we'll talk a little bit more about the investigation a little later on. All right. So the second victim of Jack the Ripper was Annie Chapman. Um, So like Marianne, she had divorced her husband and left him and ended up in the East End. And she was known for her, quote, drunken and immoral ways. I mean, honestly, same. Right? (laughs) Um, Different from Marianne, though, after divorcing her husband, she actually received a 10 pence a week stipend from her ex-husband. So she was able to make ends meet for a long time, selling flowers and crocheting little things. Um, But then her husband died. And at that point, then she had no source of income. So again, instead of going to the workhouse, she decided to make enough money by casual prostitution is how it's referred to a lot just casual casual prostitution annie was 47 years old five feet tall and had dark brown wavy hair and blue eyes on september 8th 1888 about 1 30 a.m annie was at the lodging house and the manager came in and demanded that she pay money for her room she didn't have any money and she tried to to appeal to the uh, manager of the house that she had been ill lately. She'd even been to the hospital and had a bottle of medicine she'd gotten from there. 
Um, but he didn't care, and he said, you got to go make your money. So she went out into the night. Is yeah. This, is this the same lodging house? Because I fully hold that manager responsible for these two deaths. <laughs> I don't think it said where hers was in the, in all the stuff I read, but I, I don't think they lived at the same lodging house. But yeah. I think they all were just assholes. Yeah. Um, they were all about money. That was the mentality back then, too. They didn't, I mean, they just didn't care. These people were mm-hmm. not, you know, considered really people, well, I think. And I think you have to think, too, like, the managers of these lodging houses, they call them superintendents sometimes, directors, like, caretakers. I just call them all managers. They lived in the East End, too. And so I think in a lot of ways they were like, well, if you can't pay me money, I'm not going to give you anything because I have to make money, too. You know, nobody gave them a hand up and they don't live in a great place or have a great life. Yeah. That's all speculation in my brain, though. Yeah. Part of of it comes from this show I watched a long time ago where they actually took, uh, I think it was like three British families and put them in different levels of what the slums would have been like. So they had like a family in a room and they were tailors. Then they had another couple, I forget exactly what they were. And then they had one guy who was like single and he rented a bed in one of those rooms where they have like malt, they have like a bench and a rope and you just sat behind the rope and you slept and the rope was there so you didn't fall over and you still had to pay like a shilling a night to do that. Anyway, sorry, their whole test, their whole test was like, can you live and work and do yeah. Anyway, sorry. Huh. So I have a lot of imaginings of what it might be like from that show, which I have no idea how accurate it is. But it was I, on like British PBS. So um, I watched I watched that HBO show, um, not HBO, the Hulu show, um, Harlots. <laughs> so a lot, <laughs> yeah, of, a lot of my thoughts are like, oh, it's like that. <laughs> All right. So so Annie went out into the night to make enough money so she had a place to sleep. Which I think is so crazy, too. So just thinking about this, like, it's already 1.30 in the morning. Why are you not already asleep? <laughs> like, no shit. So she left the house sometime after 1.30 a.m., shortly after. And we really don't know a lot of what happened between then and 6 a.m. when her body was found. A woman named Elizabeth Long did tell police that she'd seen Annie at around 5.30 a.m. Um, Annie was standing against the shutters of a building on Hanbury Street with a man. The man was leaning close to Annie, and Elizabeth said she heard him say, Will you? And heard Annie say, Yes. Unfortunately, the man's back was to Elizabeth, so she wasn't able to see his face, but she did report that he was only a few inches taller than Annie, who was five feet. So that would make him somewhere between five foot and five foot five in height. Uh, That he was around 40 and was wearing a long, dark coat and had a shabby Gentile appearance. Hmm. A shabby Gentile. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so then this part's kind of creepy and eerie. At least if I had been this guy, it would be creepy and eerie. So moments after Elizabeth had seen Annie, Albert Kadosh, a carpenter who lived at 27 Hanbury Street, heard Annie while he was in the backyard of his house. He says he didn't see anything, but he distinctly heard a woman saying no. Less than 30 minutes later, in the same spot where Elizabeth had seen Annie, her body was found. So why I think it's eerie is that she saw Annie, and I'm pretty sure Albert heard Annie getting murdered. Yeah, but he didn't go to investigate? I mean, you just hear someone yell no, and you don't hear anything else. Would you? Probably not. No. I wouldn't. Now, if they said no over and over, and there was additional screaming, then I I would. 
phone a friend and investigate together. But I don't know. I'm so scared and so worried about my own self-preservation that oh, I'm not I, about to venture is. anywhere scary alone. <laughs> I would just have nine nine one one up or nine 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 if you're British, <laughs> and uh, queued and very stealthily peek around and try not to be noticed. I feel like I would be like, hey. Stop it! What's going on over there? <laughs> trying to like scare him away, like like, like, like a bear, like trying yeah. to be, hey. Everybody should just download an app that makes gun noises, so like you can you can be like, "Who's there?" and like make it just sound gonna... like you're you're pew, pew. pumping your shotgun. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And they'll think you have a gun. Anyway, <laughs> Annie was taken to the mortuary where an autopsy was performed by Doctor George Phillips. The injuries to Annie were very brutal. Dr. Phillips said that the killer had used a six to eight inch long blade. Um, He noted that the uh, killer had strangled Annie first, most likely until she was unconscious. A knife was used to make a long cut in her neck. And then through that wound, most of Annie's blood had drained out. The killer had also cut Annie's throat from left to right possibly trying to cut her head off, based on what the doctor saw. Annie's abdomen had been cut open, and her small intestines, still attached, were pulled out of her stomach cavity and placed over her right shoulder. Her stomach was then taken out and placed over her left shoulder. And in addition, there were parts of her anatomy that were missing. So if this is the same killer, we're seeing kind of an escalation. Like, he cut the throat of Mary... And there were wounds to her abdomen, but now he and he there were signs he strangled Mary first, if I'm not mixing people up, and so strangled um, Annie, but he went much further then yeah. with dissecting her abdomen. Weird. So part of her abdominal wall, the majority of her bladder, her entire uterus, and parts of her vagina were missing. So Dr. Phillips said that if he were to have performed these mutilations, um, it would have taken him around an hour. However, it appeared that the killer may have performed the deed, or it seemed that the killer could have performed the deed in around 15 minutes. Mm, so wow. maybe it wasn't as careful. Like he'd take the what I inferred from that was like he would take an hour because he'd be slow and methodical, but the killer was in a hurry and yeah. took him about 15 minutes. Okay. So before a break, let's talk about where we're at after these two gruesome murders. Um, So, of course, now we've got two brutal murders similar in style, and there's all sorts of chaos between the different parts of the government, the different authorities, the different classes. They're all fighting over what could have possibly happened, but there were still no real solid leads. Now, there was some speculation that a man known as Leather Apron, and he was known as Leather Apron because he wore a leather apron and roamed the streets (laughs) of the East End... With a giant knife, threatening women and trying to blackmail them. Oh, God. As far as I read, there was never any evidence he killed anybody. Um, But people thought that he must have escalated. Um, He was looked into, but it was determined he had an alibi for one of the murders. His alibi? No, I was just wandering the streets. I was yelling at this woman, actually, over here. You see, she's not dead. Yeah. (laughs) And then I want to end with some kind of creepy things. So before we go to the third victim, there's some fun stuff that happens between this last murder on September 8th and the next murder that's about to happen. The story was all over the news. um, And 
in the 1870s, there had been an ed- education push and a push to end illiteracy. So at this point in time, 96% of the population was literate. So everyone was reading these stories in the newspapers, and it was spreading like wildfire. There was like a thirst for what was happening. And then on September 25th, the Central News Office at London City received a letter. The letter was just addressed to the boss. Oh. Um, And I'm actually going to read the letter to you guys. So this is the full letter. Dear boss, I keep on hearing the police have caught me, but they won't fix me just yet. I've laughed when they look so clever and talk about being on the right track. That joke about leather apron gave me real fits. I am down on whores and I shan't quit ripping them till I do get buckled. Grand work, the last job was. I gave the lady no time to squeal. How can they catch me now? I love my work and want to start again. You will soon hear of me with my funny little games. I saved some of the proper red stuff in a ginger beer bottle over the last job to write with, but it went thick like glue and I can't use it. Red ink is fit enough, I hope. Ha ha. The next job I do, I shall clip the lady's ears off and send to police officers just for jolly, wouldn't you? Keep this letter back till I do a bit more work, then give it out straight. My knife is so sharp, I want to get to work right away if I get a chance. Good luck. Yours truly, Jack the Ripper. Don't mind me giving the trade name. P.S. Wasn't good enough to post this before I got all the red ink off my hands. Curse it. No luck yet. They say I'm a doctor now. Ha ha. So in this letter, if we are to believe this came from the actual killer, he named himself Jack, Jack the, Ripper. the Ripper. That's so weird. Isn't it? Are there other, wouldn't you, like serial killers who have done that? Name themselves? I feel like Zodiac yeah, killer named Yeah, that was the one that I was thinking, Zodiac killer. Ted Cruz named himself. And then his that parents. joke is like fucking nine years old at this point, but I will keep and going until Ted Cruz dies. <laughs> Didn't his parents name him? <laughs> anyway. Um, and so then at this time, we'll take a break uh, before okay. we start to discuss the next victims. Mm, it's a good story so far. Yeah. Yeah, I'm liking it. Gruesome, though. Yeah. Or sad. Yeah, oh, very sad. Oh, wait till we get to this other character and I share some of the wild speculation okay. about how That's they're related. Mm. <laughs> Sounds good. All right, break time. Yay. I was going to say, so to dampen all the fun about silly cats, should we talk about murder again? Mm. I think we should. <laughs> I think it's a, it's murder time. <laughs> Okay, so at this point, we have two official victims of Jack the Ripper, and Jack has now sent a letter, if we believe it's actually the killer, to the London City News and gave himself the name Jack the Ripper, which I think is hilarious. Like, if I ever kill people, I'm totally going to name myself. Like, I'll leave it at the first crime scene. I don't know what my name will be. Something ridiculous. I want it to be <laughs> stupid and dumb. Like there is some other I'm the party pooper. The... There's some other serial killer <laughs> who okay, like wrote into the news. Was like I don't like the name that you gave me. 
Stop calling me that. <laughs> I can't remember who it was, though. Oh, that sounds familiar. They're like, um, don't call me that. Call me this. <laughs> Stop it. That sounds familiar, but I don't know. Yeah. I, yeah, it sounds familiar, but I can't think of who it was. Anyways, enough about them. <laughs> I know, because we're, we've got we're, self-proclaimed Jack the Ripper. We're talking about Jack the Ripper, who we cannot do a genealogical study on to find out who the killer is like they did with Golden State. No, no. I just think that's fa- I watched a whole, that whole documentary because I'm like, that's fascinating how they use the genealogical records and everything. Mm-hmm. And then I've seen a couple other things since then, which I can't exactly remember what they are, where they've done like a similar thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I want Hannah to send hers in someday. I was just saying, you didn't have her give DNA when she was a kid. Like, remember when we were younger? You might oh, have been yeah. a little older. And because there was such a rash of child abductions in, like, the 80s and early 90s, oh. I remember they, like, they, had, like, they, they would, would come to the school and they'd fingerprint you so you'd be in the system That's if they wild. found they you. They still recommend doing that. Mm-hmm. Fingerprinting your child, having pictures taken frequently that are oh, specifically yeah. for identification purposes yep. in case your child ever gets abducted. People always talk about how like crazy unsafe it is nowadays but like everyone forgets that the 80s and the 70s oh. kids were just fucking going missing the, all the time or how about the 60s and the yeah. 50s and right. the 40s and the we 30s just don't and the 20s about it. they just didn't give a shit because kids weren't important well and yeah. or yeah didn't know about it or there was this whole it, mentality well, too of like oh i'm sure little johnny just ran away right uh, it's like he's fucking eight he's, he's five he just, where, he, where we, we were having pie for dinner he wouldn't have run away. Like, he just decided, I'm done with this life. I'm going to make it on my own. Fuck the pie. I'm tying my handkerchief into a little package and putting it on a yeah. stick. I'm yeah. out of here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just but, like, I don't know. But like, remember 80s through the early 90s, like stranger danger was in our face. Do you remember all the the more you know commercials and the after school specials? Oh, yeah. and it's 8 o'clock. Do you know where your child face. is? Mm. It also at the same time as the Say No to Drugs campaign yeah, was big yeah. too. <laughs> this is your brain. And that worked really well. So Okay. Anyway. Sorry for the tangent. <laughs> back to 1888, which I imagine in the 1880s, child also abductions were rampant as well. <laughs> yes. Were they called child abductions? They were probably considered blessings by most parents. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for taking one of those oh, children. Oh, great. Out of my now hand. I only have 10. Yes. This is yeah, be such yeah. a better burden. <laughs> okay. So. After this letter was sent on the 25th, we actually have two more victims killed on the same night. Oh, my God. So busy. So the first victim was Elizabeth Stride. Um, She actually was born in Sweden and did work as a maid. But by 21, she had officially been registered with the police as a professional prostitute. Eventually, she did marry and made her way to London and, and, and lived in the East End. Her marriage wasn't a happy one, and Elizabeth would actually disappear for weeks at a time. On wow, I know, <laughs> like, but like, I mean, I guess you didn't just get divorced super easy back then. No. Like, I also can't imagine many of the marriages were happy in the 1800s. <laughs> I mean, how can you be in a happy marriage when your life is just shit anyway? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, and I don't know. Most people were like marriages back then. Were they even really for love? They were often just arrangements, yeah. well, business arrangements. Most of these, as I was reading through this, the marriages were seemed more like I can't survive without two incomes. Like it was yeah. like survival. <laughs> so on September 29th, um, Elizabeth was living in a lodging house at 32 Flower and Dean Street. So there's that Flower and Dean Street again. Yeah. Um, and after drinking quite a bit. 
she left and just went out on the streets, uh, supposedly to make some money with casual prostitution. This one thing I read on it kept calling it casual prostitution, and I can't call it anything else now because I just love it. So it was just casual. Casual prostitution. It wasn't serious or it's not like formal. You, I feel like, you know, you have your professional prostitutes and your casual prostitutes. Yeah. Your yeah. prostitutes that are out there nine to five every day, <laughs> 40 hours a week, trying to make a living with benefits. Like, and, you know, and then you have your prostitutes that are just like, oh, I just need a couple. Yeah. An I extra hundred bucks. <laughs> I just need a place to sleep tonight. So. So what we know is that she left about 1.30 a.m. And don't know much about what she did or how she got where she was, but she ended up on Burner Street. And I have no clue where this is. You guys can look up a map of London and find these places if you want. On Burner Street. And there was a club there called the Burner Street Club. They're so clever at their names. <laughs> they are. It's not as good as White Sean. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think... I think that's the best club name ever. Now I kind of want to open a brewery called White Sean and have our local be a burly, redheaded, bearded man. <laughs> like super pale. Like With his uh, arms crossed. Irish or something. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Welcome to White Sean. <laughs> the question, though, that's burning my brain right now is how would we spell Sean? S-E-A-N or no. S-H-A-W-N? S-H-A-U-N. Is that oh. how the Irish spell it? I don't know, but that's just how I imagine I it. think we should spell it. I feel like the Irish spell it. S-C-H-O-N-N. Sean. Anyway. Okay, so the Burner Street Club was hosting an evening of entertainment and politics, as they put it, which I think was funny. Um, like, the Burner Street Club was known as a place of radical political discussions and Ooh, that kind of that's stuff. that's so much fun back then. Those were the places to go. Oh, the intellectuals. It's like the worst but, place in the world to me. Oh, you want me to join you for a rousing <laughs> political discussion? <laughs> a bunch of fucking strangers? No thanks. In the East End? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, so at about 1.30, one of the people in attendance was leaving the gathering and spotted a pile of something, he didn't know what, on the ground. So he lit a match to get some light and realized it was a dead body. Oh. Now, this is an interesting timing thing. So that same night, in a different part of the East End, a woman named Catherine Ethos, I don't think that was her last name. I think that's an autocorrect, so you guys can look that up and find the real last name. Not Ethos? I don't think so. So she was picked up for being drunk um, and taken to the police station, put in a cell to sleep it off. By about 1 a.m., Catherine was considered sober enough to leave, and they sent her on her way. And so the interesting thing is, is we believe we have Catherine's last words, because as she left... She said to the police officer, I shall get a damned fine hiding when I get home to, to her husband for being gone for so long. Oh. And the police office, officer said, and serve you right. Oh. What you deserve, you wicked woman. Mm -hmm. So like most of the women in the story, uh, Catherine had had a tough life. She was barely scraping by. Um, even though she was married, she and, she and her husband still had to do whatever they could to make ends meet. And on that afternoon, that Saturday before she was picked up for being drunk, she had actually told her husband that she was leaving to find her daughter to borrow some money. Oh. Um, but instead, somehow, ended up extremely intoxicated. <laughs> That's a good... How does that happen? Not Catherine Ethos. Catherine Adows. Okay. 
Catherine Adows. Adows. I don't know. There's two Ds. So, Adows. Catherine Adows. Edows? 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 Maybe Edows. Catherine E. (laughs) (laughs) So, as Catherine left the police station around 1 a.m., um, it was noted that she turned left, which seemed to be in the opposite direction that she would have left to go home. Less than 10 minutes away from the police station, Catherine's body was found. Wow. At 1.45, her body was discovered. Her throat was cut through to her spine. So like Elizabeth, she died from extreme blood loss caused by a uh, severed cartoid cup. From a severed cartoid... <laughs> I've only had one drink! What is happening? Okay. Like, Eliz- like Catherine, Elizabeth died from extreme blood loss caused by a severed cartoid... <laughs> Carotid? Is that what you're trying to say? Carotid artery? <laughs> Cartoid. Maybe it was, maybe it was cartoid. Car- cartoid artery. Cartoid. No, it's carotid. No, they, there no, is no a cartoid. Where is the cartoid? <laughs> <laughs> Tell me where it is. <laughs> there is no cartoid. Are you sure? I am 99% confused. sure. I don't know. This reference says cartoid. Common cartoid artery. Oh, carotid is how it's Carotid is Car- how it's oh. <laughs> The carotid artery that runs here. Next to the jugular. If you sever either so, one, you'll bleed out. So, somehow as I was dictating, I turned it into cartoid. And I'm sorry, that is not how you should pronounce that word. Carotid should be spelled totally different. I know, that's how I, it's it should be. It should be C-A-R-R-O-T-E-D. Not C-A-R-O-T-I-D. Not C-A-R-O-T-I-D. Carotoid. It could have been her jugular. looked at it. Read it and was like, yeah, cartoid. <laughs> oh, my God. Anyway, so let's try this all over and maybe Salem will cut this craziness out. All right. Maybe. Oh, that was perfect. <laughs> okay, so Catherine was found at 1.45 in the morning. So remember, Elizabeth was found at 1.30. Catherine is found at 1.45. Did what, Catherine Both left the police station at like 1.30, right? At 1. Oh, at 1. Okay. But she was only ten minutes away from the police station where they found her, so she would have. So she walked ten. She minutes. She walked ten minutes worth of time, unless she stood around for a while yeah. and then was killed. gave some yeah. guy a blowjob and smoked a cigarette or whatever, and then went ten on her minutes. Way. That's it. Just ten she minutes. was found within, oh, within ten minutes of like a ten minute walk. <laughs> from I can't. The police. I can't, I can't tell if Belle's incredulity is because it was too long or too short. <laughs> ten minutes she for a blowjob in ten minutes. No. So she was a 10-minute walk away. She was found okay. a 10-minute walk away. But she was found so, 45 minutes after she had Yeah, left. so assuming she met someone at that 10-minute mark where she was found. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that person killed her. Okay, so anyway. <clears throat> so Catherine, like Elizabeth, died from extreme blood loss caused, caused by a severed carotid artery. Good job, um, Jess. <laughs> So, Elizabeth, however, was not mutilated. She had only had her throat cut. Um, Catherine, however, was very mutilated uh, post-mortem. So, her face had been slashed repeatedly. Part of her ear had been cut off. And I don't know if you guys remember the letter. The letter, yeah. yeah. He said, next one, I'm going to cut their ear off. And was that foreshadowing? 
<laughs> is it or foresha- just a threat? <laughs> is it foreshadowing if I know what I'm gonna do and I tell you? Uh, yes. If it's in written down, if it's in <laughs> literature, <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, so part of her ear had been cut off and the end of her nose. Her abdomen had been opened and her intestines pulled out, placed above her shoulder. Part of her womb and her left kidney were missing. And like other bodies so far, it's believed that whoever killed Catherine had knowledge of anatomy, such as a butcher, slaughterman, medical student, or surgeon. I mean, how much knowledge of anatomy, of human anatomy, would a butcher have, though? I mean, how different is it's a really not human kidney different. from a okay. cow kidney? I mean. Okay, so at this point, we have two more people murdered with their throat slashed down to their spine on the same night. So why, and very close together. So why do authorities think this is the same person? Well, an interesting that happened with, interesting thing that happened with Elizabeth. There was a man out walking named Israel Schwartz, and he saw Elizabeth Stride standing in a gateway with a man. He says he saw the man attack the woman, throwing her to the ground. But then the man who attacked her called out to another man who was across the street and shouted, Lipsky. Nobody knows what Lipsky means. Sounds like a name. Yeah. I know, right? Like a nickname. And the second man started to follow Israel, who ran away. Oh, I was going to say, why didn't he help the lady? But it's because so, he got chased. Okay. So the theory is that the that the killer got spooked and went and found another victim that he could dissect. Well, that was going to be my theory if it was, in fact, the same killer that committed both crimes. One... Why would he commit two crimes on one night? And two, why was only one of his victims dissected when that had become an obvious M.O. for him? Um, so my thought was he must have been interrupted yep. somehow in Elizabeth's or for some reason didn't have the time, but he wasn't satisfied. And mm-hmm. that may be why the other victim, I can't remember her name, Catherine, Catherine, Catherine was, um, oh, Eddowes, um, <laughs> why Catherine was even more viciously yeah. dissected because he had had to mm-hmm. got stopped in the middle of doing it before. So that's my theory. Yeah, it's totally. wild speculation. Now, the the other guy, who knows if he was real, who knows what Israel saw, but that was his story. I mean that why would we why is there any reason to doubt that guy? And that's a pretty I know, but there's nothing else that ever indicated that Jack the Ripper had an accomplice. Oh, uh, yeah, that's true. So that throws into more speculation, like could the theory that been, it's multiple people. Could he have just been aiming for distraction? Like, Maybe. Oh, Lipsky! To get him to look <laughs> the other way and then... And there was someone, there was another thing I read that theorized that it was a racial slur and he was trying to get oh. the other guy to attack. Oh. Hit, because Israel Schwartz, I'm going to guess, and please don't call me bad names, I'm going to guess he was Jewish. Mm-hmm, and yeah. at this time, they referred to Jewish people as foreigners. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's possible that that's what he was trying to do is distract him. And this other guy had nothing to do with Jack the Ripper, but was like, oh, a Jew, I'm going to go kill him. I don't know. Yeah, but I don't know. And it's kind of weird. It is. So that's the only reason that they think he might have had an accomplice is that one incident oh i know they think there's all sorts of theories oh, okay. like that's my inference is like that maybe that's why the small this multiple people 
yeah. theory is out there, but there are, people just have every theory they want. It's gotten to the point where people just oh. make something up and like. When it's a hundred, I think it was a toad. Jack like, the Ripper was Ted Cruz. <gasps> <gasps> Jack He's the, immortal. Jack the Ripper was the Jersey Devil. <gasps> <gasps> okay, so. Um, Israel did see the man. He described a man who was around 30 years old, five foot five with dark hair and a small mustache. He said he was dressed in a dark jacket and trousers with a black cap that had a peak. Um, so like a so, witch's hat? That's right. <laughs> so he was I think either was, wearing a witch's or a wizard's hat, one or the other. I think it was a smaller peak than that. <laughs> a and dunce maybe, cap? I think it like I think maybe it was a front. Peak. I feel like a dunce cap is taller than a witch's hat. <laughs> I feel like a dunce cap like who, like people would have noticed this guy. It's got to be some sort of other peaked hat, okay? So next time I dress up as a witch for Halloween and people ask me who I am, I'm gonna be like Jack the Ripper. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there was also a witness in Catherine's case, um, a man named Joseph Lewand saw her talking to another man shortly before she was killed. He says he saw Catherine and the man at the corner of Mitre Square, which is where her body was found, at around 1.35 a.m. Um, he couldn't see the woman, but he was able to see the man, and he described him as being around 30, 5 foot 7, said he had a fair complexion and a mustache. His clothing was, description was similar, but a little different. He said that Joseph said he kind of looked like a sailor. He had a pepper and salt loose jacket, a red neckerchief, and a gray cloth cap with a peak. So he had a dark jacket and a cap with a peak, like Israel's description. Okay. Um, like a witch. A witch. I'm just <laughs> trying, I tried to Google 1800s men's hat with peak, and nothing came up. So I truly have no idea what this hat is supposed to look, look up, like. Look up 1880s sailor hats, because Joseph well, described okay. him as looking kind of like a sailor. Mm. <laughs> he was a witch! <laughs> oh, so, oh. oh, what? Oh, I just looked it up <laughs> and it auto-corrected to men's sailor hat with a peak. I don't oh. think it means a peak in the way that we're thinking of a peak. Maybe like this? <laughs> oh, okay. What? Like the brim? Okay. Oh. Well, it's got like the peak in the middle. Like the peak at the... Yeah. It's it raised in the middle, but like a sailor's hat. So okay. Think, so for listeners, think Yeah, I guess think I of wouldn't think of that as a hat. peak, but okay. Yeah. Okay, so it's a sailor's hat, basically, like a like a Gilligan, Gilligan on Gilligan's <laughs> Island hat. That's the kind of hat that he would wear. Only gray. He would wear. Only he gray. He would wear that kind of hat. And we're assuming that's the only hat with a peak yeah. in 1880s <laughs> London is a sailor's hat. I'm still thinking it's a witch's hat. Okay, so at this point, we have four victims, and they all seem very likely to have been killed by the same person. And some people think that we have six victims at this point if we count the first two before his official um, his official kills. That sounded so bad. Um, so at this point, there's still no leads, right? They're no cl- closer to catching him than they were after the first victim. Um, so keep in mind, this happened on September 29th. On October 1st, the Central News receives another communication from Jack the Ripper. Um, It's a postcard, and here's what it said verbatim. I was not codding, dear old boss, when I gave you the tip. You'll hear about Saucy Jackie's tomorrow double event. This time, number one squealed a bit, couldn't finish straight off. 
Had not time to get ears for police. Thanks for keeping last letter back till I got to work again. Jack the Ripper. So very weird grammar on this one. Like Mm -hmm. the first one seemed to be a little bit more coherent. There's like not a lot of punctuation, a lot of run on sentences and just kind of weird how it's worded. But if you read it on the first. So at this point, it's only been a day. And he mailed this postcard to the Central News and they got it on October 1st. So he must have mailed it before he killed those women. Or right after, because he says, you'll hear about Jackie's double event. Oh. Number one squealed and couldn't finish straight off. Oh, that gives credence to the whole got caught. And then it says, had not time to get ears for police. So, and then says, thanks for keeping last letter back till I got to work again. So it's like he's saying, I didn't have time to cut the ears off to mail to police. he tried to. He got a piece of Catherine's ear. Mm -hmm. So who knows? Hmm. Is this the guy or is this just a well-informed person? So that's when the theories really kind of start with that. The press widely believed that the letter and the, uh, and the postcard were hoaxes. But both did have information pertinent to the investigation. So the theory is if it wasn't the killer, it was someone who had access at an early stage to information about the murders. Interesting. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. So what they decided to do, though, because they figured it had to be someone who had information at the very least, on October 3rd, they published facsimiles of of the letters hoping to get information. So after that, Things kind of start to die down. There's not a lot going on. But then on October 16th, Jack sends another letter. So this one he sent to the chairman of the Whitechapel Vigilance Committee, George Lutz, or Lusk, sorry, George Lusk. So he sent a letter and a box directly to George Lutz's home. Now, the letter is full of interesting spelling errors, which I found. Um, So I'm going to read it, but then I'm going to go through and talk about the weird spelling errors. So here's how it goes. From hell. Mr. Lusk, sir, I send you half the kidney I took from one woman, preserved it for you, t'other piece I fried and ate. It was very nice. I may send you a bloody knife that I took it out if you only wait a while longer. Catch me when you can, Mr. Lusk. So here's the weird spelling errors, though. Sir is spelled S-O-R. I oh. send you half the kidney, no Y on the end. Preserved is spelled P-R-A-S-A-R-V-E-D. So preserved instead of the E's. So A's oh. where the E's go. Knife, no E on the end. So when he says, I may send you bloody knife, no E on the end. And weight is spelled W-A-T-E. Now, compared to his other letters, like... There's no spelling errors like that in there. Yeah. And then in the last spelling error is with Mr. Lux. It's actually Mr. Lux. So he has an H after the S. Huh. What does it spell if you take all these I know, letters? right? Oh, I tried. <laughs> I was like, I wanted it. I'm like, is this a code? <laughs> totally couldn't figure we anything out. We figured it out. <laughs> like, hmm, it I, only took hundreds of years, like, but we know who he is now. It's like Lord Voldemort. <laughs> oh, my God. It says, I am... <laughs> Tom Riddle. Yeah. 
Um, I tried, but it's like, what's weird and hard to figure out, though, if it is some sort of code, is that he changed some letters, but then removed other letters, too. So it's kind of like, what is the code? Do we need to look at the removed letters or the different letters, you know? I think what it means is that it's not actually him that wrote it. I think it's somebody else. Someone else just sent him a fucking liver or a kidney in the mail. Yeah, so that's the thing that I hadn't said yet, but you got it from the note, is that in the box that he sent with that letter was a piece of kidney. Okay, then. It was half of a kidney. That doesn't exclude someone else no. from it because I mean, it could have been, been a pig kidney. Yeah. Like, I bet back then they may not have been able to tell the difference very easily. Yeah. Um, but it is really weird, and it makes me wonder, like, is it the same person who wrote the other notes? If it is, is he, like, going crazier? And that's why yeah. it's all weird? Or is it a copycat who, you know, or were the first ones not from him, but this one is? Yeah. I would imagine if he is a doctor, like most people theorize that he is, he would have better grammar and spelling than that. Yeah, he'd be able to spell. So So if it was from him, I think that the the mistakes were intentional. Yeah. And I... Or he was really drunk or something when he wrote it or on drugs or something. Yeah. They did that back then, right? Yeah. Opium. (laughs) Laudanum. You could get a prescription for laudanum back in the days. Snuff. Isn't that just tobacco, though? I think so. (laughs) All right. So, yeah. So in the box was a half of a kidney. Now, they did have it um, examined by Dr. Gordon Brown, and he reported that he was unable to establish whether it was part of the left kidney or the right kidney. Um, If you remember Catherine Edows, is that how we decided we say her name? Edows? Close enough, I think. <laughs> um, Catherine Adow's left kidney was removed. So George Brown, there's like so many different doctors. There's not a single doctor who performed more than one autopsy on this. these well, that murders. makes That's it kind interesting. of inconsistent I know, right? and hard yeah. to. At least as far as I can tell, like a couple of them, they didn't say who did the autopsy, but of the people they mention, they're all different. Why? Because it was all in such like that small radius that all of this happened that's yeah weird. but it's also such a high population I and guess. you think about back then how many people not just were being murdered but how many people were just like dying from disease well, and yeah. i'm sure that being an autopsyist was autopsyist? you were busy i'm sure you were busy uh, all you, the time do you mean coroner <laughs> i just <laughs> i just think that uh having It'd be a different person every single time. You're missing the possibility of seeing patterns. Because if you had the same person, they might pick up on patterns that somebody else wouldn't recognize as being odd. But also, I was just going to say that, like, do you think that the police officers, because this was not just before we started learning about serial Mm -hmm. killers, but it was hundreds of years before we started yeah, really learning about true. serial killers I mean, and with hundreds, these like a hundred years police officers even think that these murders were related until they got the letter sent into them well, by the killer being like hey i well, claim all I these think, murders i think they did put it together because they were so brutal but if they hadn't had the mutilation like that yeah i don't think they would have i don't I think agree. they would have ever they just wouldn't have thought of it. No. Yeah. But and how often do you get a dissected body like that? Yeah. So, so they remember, obviously right? yeah. you're going to be like, wow, I've never seen that before. So these are probably related, <laughs> you yeah. know. However, though, so Dr. Gordon Brown said he couldn't determine it. They found somebody else within a week 
Dr. Openshaw, who worked with the Metropolitan Police, and he gave the opinion that it was from the left side. So, of course, the public ran with that, assuming it was Catherine's kidney. But it could have been any of the other victims' kidney, too. Or somebody totally different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, she was the only one missing a kidney, though. Oh, was she the only one that well, got it? I also, thought the others were missing body parts well, too. Like a womb, and I think I don't think anybody was missing um, like a bladder. Kidney. One oh. of them was missing a bladder, most of their bladder, and their uterus. Okay. And then we had Catherine, who was missing her womb and part of her kidney. Um, I also was the news of her. Like death and everything in the, what like did it break to the public before they had gotten this letter or no? I don't think so. Okay, because that definitely does. The police yeah. did try to keep some things back, like and so. Good. So we are almost through with the grisly murders of Jack the Ripper as we know of, and we move on to victim number five. So this is the last victim of the official murders attributed to Jack the Ripper. There are many theories up, you know, some people think 11, you know, but there are only five that have officially been attributed to him. And his fifth victim was Mary Jane Kelly. So Mary was about 25 years old. She was about 5'7 and had blonde hair and blue eyes. She originally came from Ireland. Um, She was married, but her husband died just a few years after they got married. And Mary moved to live with a cousin. Eventually, she made her way to London and began working as a prostitute. Mary claims her life was more grand than I believe it was. I think she was kind of telling tales, but she claimed that she worked in a high-class bordello, that she had a a relationship with a prominent gentleman, and he took her to Paris, but she didn't like Paris and the Paris life, so after two weeks, she came home and back to London. When she came back to London, she started using the name Marie, um and started working in the East End. Uh, She met another man who she moved in with, and they were living at 26 Dorset Street, another very dangerous street in the East End. As I'm reading this, I'm like, is there a not dangerous street in the East End? (laughs) Doesn't seem like it. So Mary quit working the streets for a while after she met Joseph, Um, but Joseph got laid off, and so she went back out to make money. She would invite fellow prostitutes to come sleep in their room at 26 Dorset Street, Um, And it caused friction between her and Joseph. Because of this, there's actually been speculation that the body that was found that was identified as Mary Jane Kelly was actually not her, but someone else. But my response to that is, then where the hell is Mary Jane Kelly? Why did she never show up again and say, hey, I'm not dead? Yeah. Um, Anyway. What an opportunity to just like, peace. (laughs) (laughs) But where do you go? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, she doesn't like Paris. She can't go there. (laughs) (laughs) The Paris life. Anyway, um, so we don't know a lot about her movements uh, the night she was murdered. We do know that on November 8th, she was at home between 7.30 and 7.45 and then went out drinking. Um, Apparently, she drank to excess this night. She came back to her room with a stout man that witnesses say was between, I mean, around 35 or 36. They say he was wearing a shabby overcoat. And had a red mustache. Um, They came back to her place around midnight. It's Sean. (laughs) White Sean. (laughs) So people know that they came back around midnight because Mary was very drunk and decided to sing. 
And neighbors say that she sang until past 1 a.m. Same. (laughs) (laughs) Later, a neighbor said they bumped into her on um, a a commercial street close to Flower and Dean Street. There it is again. Around 2 a.m. And Mary asked him to borrow some money. He said he didn't have any money. And Mary walked off to a man standing nearby. And that's all he knows. Her friend, though, her neighbor, took a good look at the man and described him as having a dark complexion, Jewish appearance, which is such like a Ew. horrible way to describe him, but that's yeah. what he said, with a heavy mustache um, turned up at the ends. Like, as I was reading this, I'm like, it's a melodrama villain. Did he put her on the railroad tracks? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, no. So <laughs> a heavy mustache turned up at the ends um, and dark eyes and bushy eyebrows. Um, he said he had a long, dark overcoat with a white collar and a black necktie, and that he had a gold chain in his waistcoat with a red stone hanging from it. He so, truly is a fucking melodrama yeah, villain. Yeah, I know, like, right? Jesus. So different, different, but very similar to the other descriptions we've heard so far. And, you know, these are different nights. He could have a different coat on. He, you know what I mean? He could be wearing a different hat. Mm-hmm. They're far apart. His mustache could have gotten bushier, bushier over time, you know. Um, he also said he was about 5'6 and around 35 or 36 years old. He saw Mary and the man head towards Mary's room. Later, Elizabeth Prater, who was another neighbor, said she was woken up between 3.30 and 4 by a cry of, Oh, murder! <laughs> <laughs> now, Elizabeth said it wasn't unusual to hear cries in the night, and so she just ignored it. Uh, I mean, they said murder, though. Yeah. Murder. But I still put myself in their place, living in the slums of the East End where it's not safe, where anybody's fair game. You poke your nose in and people will take you out because of it. And that just makes me wonder, though, like, cries in the night are the cries also, oh, murder. I mean, maybe. How often is that specific I mean, that's true. I mean, I feel if I, but, but it's also a weird one. Oh, murder. Like, if. Mary's being murdered. Is she going to yell? She's oh, not going to yell. Murder. Murder, yeah. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> and I doubt the man yelled, "Oh, murder." <laughs> As he's committing a murder. <laughs> now, 10:45 a.m. on November 9th, so the next day, um the assistant to the landlord, Henry Boy Bow Bowyer. Yeah. Henry Bowyer let himself into Mary's room. I never found out why, why he let himself into Mary's room. But when he did let himself in, he discovered just a really, really gross, awful scene. And so he ran for the landlord. Um, So John McCarthy, the landlord, is um, quoted as saying um, to look more like the work of a devil than a man. Hmm. So Mary Jane Kelly's body was lying naked in the bed her head was turned and resting on her left cheek the entire surface of her abdomen and thighs had been removed her abdominal cavity had been empty of its organs her breasts had been removed and the flesh on her neck had been removed down to the bottom I don't really know what that means I couldn't really figure it out but the the flesh was gone Um, Mary's face was also mutilated and part of the nose, cheeks, eyebrows, and ears were removed, were partially removed. Uh, and there were body parts scattered around the room. Ew. 
Her uterus, kidneys, and one of her breasts was under her head. Her other breast was by her right foot. Her liver was between her feet. Her intestines were on the right side of her body and her spleen was on the left. And the skin and flesh taken from her abdomen and thighs were piled on the bedside table. I mean, so it was a horrific scene. Um, and the first police officer to arrive on the scene said that there was just body parts everywhere and blood everywhere. And it was so bad that he slipped, that he had slipped and fallen on the awfulness of that floor. Ew. So similar to the other ones, definitely an escalation. But we've kind of seen this progression. So to me, it still makes sense they're the same killer, right? Like, yeah. <clears throat> um, Now, with Mary Jane Kelly, police decided to keep like, really decided to keep information about her murder secret. So the press really struggled for, like, reliable accounts, which, of course, meant that rumors ran rampant um, through that time. Um, but now that we get to the last of his official victims, let's kind of talk about the su- suspects to round out this story. Um, really, over time, there have been over a 100 suspects who were named and investigated by the police during the actual investigation. Um, since then, historians and other investigators keep coming up with theories and adding more to the list. What we're going to focus on for this episode is the five main suspects that police pulled out of all of this. And most of it comes from a document known as the McNaughton Memorandum. Now, the interesting thing about this, so it was written by Melville McNaughton, who was the assistant chief constable of the Metropolitan Police in 1889, who was actively involved in the Jack the Ripper case from 1889 to 1891. Now, he has three main suspects that he put in this McNaughton memorandum. The funny thing about it is by the time it was officially submitted and gone through all the channels, it had been edited so many times that it was rather different from his original. But in 1959, a descendant of Melville was being interviewed for a different reason, and it came to light that they had the original document that Melville wrote. So since 1959, we were just able to see his original thoughts on who the murderer was. So there were three possible suspects, and he wrote this sometime during 1890. The main suspect that McNaughton thought was Montague Drew, uh, born in 1857. That can't be right. In Wimborne, Dorset? Anyway. I know Dorset is a place. (laughs) 1857 in Dorset. Um, He actually went to New College in Oxford and became a teacher at uh, Blackheath Boarding School. His father died in 1885, and his mother became suicidal and was admitted to an asylum. Um, There are many things that McNaughton thought about this man he wrote that he was sexually insane um he was on the list because he was a doctor at least according to McNaughton um and McNaughton also claimed that Drew that Drew's own family believed he was the Whitechapel murderer oh however that says something huh? I know right however later it was discovered that Drew was not actually a doctor And McNaughton had no proof of his other claims of him being sexually insane or his family believing he was the killer. And then on December 1st, 1888, so this is a weird coincidence because it's only shortly after the last victim was found at the beginning of November, he kills himself. Oh. So that was the first suspect. The second main suspect was Aaron Kuzminski. (laughs) 
The next thing says Super Minsky Kaminsky. <laughs> <laughs> Super Minsky Kaminsky. Is that what it says? <laughs> yeah. Straight. All right. So Kaminsky was a Polish Jewish man who lived in East End. Um, McNaughton claims that Kaminsky was insane due to many years of solitary vices and indulgence. Um, McNaughton claimed that Kaminsky had a strong hatred of women and had homicidal tendencies. Um, another important note with this is that uh, an investigator named Sir Robert Anderson also looked at Kaminsky, and Kaminsky was actually his prime suspect. There's not a lot known about Kaminsky. Uh, we know he was born around 1864 and came to England in 1882. He was actually certified insane in 1890. Mm-hmm. And in 1894, was admitted to an asylum where he died in 1919. Um, Sir Robert Anderson was so convinced that Kaminsky was the killer. In 1901, he stated, basically said, I didn't quote this quite right, but he basically said to the public that everything's cool because Jack the Ripper is safely locked away inside an asylum. Mm. So he was so convinced that he was the killer. But there's never been any evidence to prove that he was. Now, the third suspect in McNaughton's report is Michael Ostrog. So McNaughton calls him the mad Russian doctor. <laughs> and he is considered a convict and unquestionably a homicidal maniac in McNaughton's oh. report. Um, Ostrog was a petty thief uh, who was violent towards women. Unfortunately for McNaughton, we're able to rule out Ostrog in more recent times, <clears throat> because we can see records that weren't widely shared in 1888. And we can see that in July of 1888, so before these murders started, he was in Paris and he was arrested until November 1888 when he was sentenced to two years in a French jail. So there's no way oh, it could have been him. Yeah. Um, in addition to the three main suspects that McNaughton lists in his report, there are two additional suspects that were considered very high on the list by police. The fourth was Francis Tumblety. I love that name. <laughs> so Chief Inspector John Littlechild sent a letter in 1913. I know they have such great names. <laughs> and that's so redundant. Look at that little child. Little child. Yeah. <laughs> you can just be John Little. Anyway, okay. In 1913, Chief Inspector John Littlechild sent a letter that described a Dr. T as a very likely suspect. Now... Tumblety was from America, and he was a regular visitor to England. Tumblety arrived in Liverpool in June of 1888 and was arrested and charged with homosexual activities between June and November of 1888. Why would a gay man go around killing and sexually mutilating a bunch of women? Yeah. Because he hates them and loves men? I don't know. I feel like if you're that sexually frustrated, you would go around and kill a bunch of gay men because so many of these sexual crimes are to get sexual satisfaction. Yeah. But none of these were sexual crimes. There was no sexual anything to any of Jack the Ripper's crimes. He just killed them and dissected them. He took their But I feel like there was their, uh, their bladders and their uteruses. I've, I've never thought focus. of a bladder as sexual. No, I, I don't know. I just feel like... I, I agree. I, I think agree there is that, a focus on like... <laughs> Yeah. The vagina, the womb, the uterus. Um, I well, and a lot of people are in the piss play. Well, you cannot. Here's the funny thing that I've come across <laughs> in my reading that leads me to kind of a theory of my own. But 
in this day and age, schools and universities had to have live samples of things. So you could sell a preserved uterus to a college so that they had it for study. So I wonder, too, if there was something to be said about he's taking these things to get money. He's making money he's off got, of it, yeah. He's got this crazy weird passion for dissection and death and then further benefits from it by making money off of it. But I don't know. It could be a sexual in nature. There's never any mention of any sort of sexual crime or anything. But I agree with Bell, too. Like, is a guy who's homosexual, is he the kill? But... They yeah. can be crazy, too. Everybody can be crazy, Belle. I know, but I just feel like just, I don't know, like the victims don't match up. Yeah, it does <laughs> seem a little weird. But he was he was a, enough of a suspect that he was actually charged on November 12th, 1888, in connection with the Whitechapel murders. They just hated gay people. That's they did. Very much. Yeah. Yeah. They did. <laughs> and they were just looking for a reason to be like, mm, this guy. <laughs> Unfortunately, to this day, there are no records that show what the chi- charges were against him. And so... Yeah, that's just a, let's lock yeah. this gay man up. Yeah. yeah. It is, however, well known and widely known that Tumblety, um hated women, especially prostitutes, and that he had a knowledge of anatomy and actually had a curious collection of anatomical parts, including uteri. So um, you just jumped maybe. ahead a little. Like it does seem weird, with them, but when you find out that he openly says he hates women and prostitutes, and he's got weird yeah. anatomical collections, yeah, yeah. makes a little bit more sense. I don't trust a twin, and I don't trust a doctor. <laughs> so Tumblety was released on bail on November sixteenth, and he fled to France, and then later to New York City. So he was originally from America. Police never had enough evidence to extradite him back to London, however. Oh, snap. All right, so we have one final suspect. I almost said expert. Like, my brain is not working today, guys. <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with me? It's I, the heat. It, I'm, like, uh-huh. sitting over I, here literally about to fall asleep. I know. And it's I'm, like, yawning I'm not about to take a nap. I know, yeah. so hot. I blame it on Hannah. She put pressure on me because she made a comment about how Kelly and I have, like, the best stories. So now <laughs> I feel like I have to live up to that. Yeah, you better. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the last suspect considered by senior police officials was George Chapman. So Chapman was a Polish immigrant. He changed his name when he arrived to England in 1887, I didn't put his real name in here because I don't think I could pronounce it, so you can Google it. (laughs) Um, He had surgical skills, and he was living in London's East End at the time of the murders. So the inspector in charge of the investigation at the time, Inspector Aberdeen, suspected Chapman, but really his suspicions were mostly based on things that could be crimed as coincidence. And those coincidences were that he studied studied medicine he lived on George Street in the yard in the area where Martha was killed. And um, he actually had once threatened his wife with a knife. Oh. Um, he also left London for America at the same time the murder stopped. Oh. So that's my story on Jack the Ripper. From here in the next episode, we're actually going to talk about the second most infamous. I, I consider these two like the most infamous um, killers in history anywhere. Um, and we're going to talk about H.H. H. Holmes Ooh. and the eerie similarities between what they like to do uh-huh. and some of the timing that has led people to a very interesting theory. Mm, that sounds very 
Exciting. Cool. And mic drop. Yeah. <laughs> that was a good story, Jess. Yay. Interesting stuff that I didn't know about Jack the Ripper. Like you said, he's like the most, one of the most infamous murderers out there, but how many people know like details about it? They just know who yeah. he was and, well, and I think that he that killed prostitutes. Exactly. He's such, he's become kind of like a cultural icon in a sense and like the worst, most morbid way. Yeah. Um, so that people have a lot of ideas, but they don't know the actual fact about it. Like there are people who devote their entire lives, like studying Jack the Ripper and trying to figure out who he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think there's a lot. Cause until I, until I really started looking into this, like I knew he killed people. They called him the Ripper cause he cut them up, you know, um, didn't really know about the weird letters that he sent. Yeah. yeah. Didn't know anything about who the suspects were that they thought it was just that they thought he was a doctor. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so uh, it was definitely interesting to see those and to kind of put the timeline, too, to see, like, mm-hmm. here was his first victim and put names to those faces. So, again, oh, let mm-hmm. me look up that book because I did want to plug before we end here this book that that I enjoyed um, that actually dives into who these women were um, that were killed. So it's called The Five, The Untold Lives of the Women That uh, Killed of the Women Killed by Jack the Ripper by Hallie, H-A-L-L-I-E. So Haley Rubenhold. Okay. Um, so, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's a full-on book, so it's going to take some time to read, but I yeah. thought it was very interesting. Um, okay. If anybody who wants to hear more about the women and not the murderer, because we so often yeah. Yeah. in society focus on the murderer, the bad person, and not the victim, and the victim yeah. gets I lost. Think especially in this instance, like everyone, like you just you hear about Jack the Ripper for the first time, and then you hear that it was just a bunch of like sex workers, and you never hear their names, mm-hmm. you never hear it's so sad. how old they were, anything mm-hmm. like that. You're just like, yeah. oh, it was and, just a bunch of sex workers, you know. And we didn't have a lot of time in this because I did want to talk about the actual crimes, but that's part of why I tried to lead. If I had the information, I tried to lead with. This person was this age. They were this tall. They had brown hair. To at least give something to them. This is the person, and this is their life and where they lived, Mm -hmm. who was killed. And were they all great women? No, but that doesn't mean they deserved to be killed, especially in such brutal ways. Yeah. Yeah, nobody deserves that, really. No. So... So, and on that note, should we do happy thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. I'm ready. Things that don't suck. Things that don't suck. Yeah. All right. Well, who wants to go first? What is it in that Harry Styles song music for a sushi restaurant? My favorite part off of the whole album is when he goes. Um, I have a happy thought. All right, let's hear it. I made it through that episode with only about a hundred mistakes. <laughs> so Salem won't have too hard of a time editing. No, it was a good story though. <laughs> I was, really enjoyed it. Good. And you told it very well. So I sniffed right into the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Hannah's going to go next now. My thing that doesn't suck is that. <laughs> 
you got to hear my awesome story today. Yeah, that's my thing that doesn't suck. <laughs> I okay. got to hear Jess's awesome story. My thing that doesn't suck is that part in that Harry Styles song, <laughs> Music for a Sushi <laughs> Restaurant, where Harry Styles goes, <laughs> 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 All right, my thing that doesn't suck is um, I have a hard time too because my air conditioner's broken and I'm really hot. Can I add to my my thing that yes. doesn't suck? The fact that I was listening to that song with Quincy over last night and they were like, is this that sushi music song? <laughs> okay, continue. <laughs> so my thing that doesn't suck, I guess, is just that we went to the Greeley Blues Jam last weekend and it was fun we had a good time and we got a new tent and it's easy to set up i can do it by myself yay so it was cool in addition to that the thing that doesn't suck about that is that you discovered the new fancy campsite (laughs) yeah yeah now we know where to go to camp like real tent campers and not like we're just in a park we were still just not like people living out of their car yeah exactly yeah (laughs) are they homeless or are they just camping i don't know that's what people say when they drive by us (laughs) <laughs> so but that's it i don't know i guess we all have pretty short and sweet things that don't suck yeah we can sign out yeah all right. well you so, can find us on uh oh wait i was gonna say something oh you can say something else. so even though stuff. this story wraps itself up don't miss the next episode because we're gonna find out some really interesting things that you can uh chew on for a while yeah this was just part one part one of two <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, plug us. All right, my little shimmies, thanks for tuning in. You can find us on the interwebs at FFS the Podcast on various social medias. FFS the Podcast at gmail.com. Yeah, email us, send us your, your stuff. Yeah. And uh, just say hi. Wanna shout us- out also to Tabahannock. Oh yeah. Virginia. Oh, yes, yeah. I forgot about because that. Because I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correct and I'm sorry if I'm not, but apparently in the last seven days um on SoundCloud we had thirty three plays from that lovely town and I'm not sure who out there is listening to us, but thank you. Email um, us and you'll be our first official Shemmy. Yeah, yeah we know you're listening now. Email us. Can't hide. <laughs> We've tracked you. Can't you. run. <laughs> Email we'll us fly and you to Tabahannock. <laughs> Email us and you guys can pioneer the Shemmy fan club. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also, email us your theories on who you think Drac. J- Drac. Drac. <laughs> Who's Drake? Who you think Jack the Ripper is. All right. Well. Yeah, thanks for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye, goodbye.